we get into this vicious cycle where people learn that stress might contribute to infertility, but like infertility definitely causes stress. So then they're stressed because they're stressed and then they're worried that their infertility is causing the stress. And that it's like this vicious downward spiral. And if we don't catch people with the right resources, like when we do see research coming out showing that women who've gone through infertility have essentially the same level of PTSD-like symptoms as someone who has gone through a cancer diagnosis and cancer treatment. Hey there, my name is Wendy, and I'm an environmental toxins lawyer who is obsessed with showing women how to toss the toxins out of their life and embrace a more holistic lifestyle. I'll be dishing up bite-sized but binge-worthy episodes on all things detox, low-tox, and what's that toxin? And what is it really doing to my health? I'm breaking it all down for you, separating the myths from the facts and pulling back the curtain on the products and beauty industry. You'll hear my unfiltered and sometimes unpopular, but honest opinions. No topic is off limits. We'll dive into what's really causing our thyroid issues, hormone imbalances, infertility, and more. Think of it as a crash course for all things holistic living, but for real life. You don't have to do everything. You just have to start somewhere. Let me show you how. This is the Detox Dilemma Podcast. Welcome to episode 29 of the Detox Dilemma Podcast. I am your host, Wendy, and today we are doing something just a little bit different. This is an Ask Me Anything episode, except I'm not the one answering your questions. I've got Dr. Katie Rose here with me today, and I asked all of you on my Instagram what questions you wanted to ask, and she's here to answer them. Dr. Katie is a licensed naturopathic physician and fertility coach who has helped hundreds overcome fertility struggles. Her unique three-step method to support the body, mind, and spirit has allowed her clients to conceive despite years of unexplained infertility, failed IVF treatments, PCOS, Hashimoto's, endometriosis, and recurrent pregnancy losses. Current research shows that one in six women suffer from some form of infertility, and that number has been rising 1% every year for the last 50 years and continues to climb. I love Dr. Katie's philosophy on treating the whole woman and getting to the root cause, and I believe every woman deserves a doctor like Dr. Katie. Let's get right to it. Welcome, Dr. Katie. Thank you for coming on the Detox Dilemma podcast. So happy to have you here. I am honored to be here. Thank you for having me. So my audience was thrilled because I always do podcast interviews myself. I come up with all of my questions, but with you, we decided to do things a little bit differently and I love that we did. I originally wanted to have you on this podcast because I, well, one, I'm originally Tucson is like my, (laughs) my original hometown. My family is from there. I went to college there and I was like, oh, she's a wildcat. Well, I don't know if you are a wildcat, but Definitely Tucson has a special place in my heart. And when I saw you were a naturopathic physician who was doing holistic fertility, that is also near and dear to my heart. I have friends and family and, you know, with one in six women now being having infertility issues, I think everybody is familiar and has been touched with infertility these days. But this topic is special with my audience because it's mostly women that are in childbearing years. And typically by the time people have sought me out on the internet, They have tried to get pregnant and are having issues and have done some Googling on the Google machine and have learned that there's some toxins out there that could be impacting fertility. And so that's usually the phase 
in life that uh, women find me and find my podcast. So you are perfect. And we got some amazing questions from the audience. I asked them, I said, this interview is for you. Uh, We're going to ask Dr. Katie what you want to know. And they did. We got a lot of questions and you agreed that we would just do an Ask the Audience interview. So I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited too. I know we got some really juicy ones and we will do our best with what we've got and hopefully be able to guide people to some great resources at the end too. 100%. Well, first I want to give my audience an opportunity to hear who is Dr. Katie. Give us a little bit of your background, what you do and how you ended up in this field. Sure. So I was born and raised in Tucson. And when I was in, I mean, I decided I wanted to be a doctor pretty early on, probably around age 11 or 12. I remember I was in about sixth, seventh grade. And when I was in college, I was very much, I would say, a type A personality, burning the candle at both ends, you know, 18 credits, honors, working in a lab, volunteering, like kind of really trying to stack my resume for medical school. And I started getting sick a lot. Um, I started with a sinus infection and then um, urinary tract infections that just seemed to come every three to six weeks for a year. And it was horrible. And so I was always at my primary care doctor's office to the point where they had this running joke that like, you should just have your own parking spot because you're here all the time. This isn't funny. No, not when you're 20 years old. I mean, no one wants that ever, but you know, there, I was, I felt ashamed that like I couldn't figure out what this problem was. I was discouraged because, you know, here in a year I'd been on like eight rounds of antibiotics and my primary care doctor just, you know, she kind of threw up her hands and was like, I don't know what else to do with you. And it was embarrassing because she would ask me like, are you wiping front to back? And I was like, oh dear <laughs> Lord, I have not gotten to 20 years old without not like knowing hygiene for crying out loud. So. That was a visit where I just, I walked out of the room, just like trying to hold the tears back. And her nurse happened to be passing me in the hallway. And she was one of those just like highly empathetic people. And she pulled me aside into like another room. It's like, you are too young to be going down this chronic health path. You have to go see a naturopath. All of our patients who see one are healthier. And don't tell anyone I told you. (laughs) I was like, okay, this is. Oh my God. I love that. I had no experience with holistic medicine at that point. I had never heard of a naturopath. I was like, a what a path? Like, what are we even talking about here? And she like scribbled a name down. I went home and Googled it and was like, oh, my insurance doesn't cover this. I don't like, you know, I was making like, I don't know, $9.75 an hour. Like, I can't afford this. This is ridiculous. And then I just continued to get sick. And at a certain point, I was like, well, this has to be a priority. So I went and I saw this doctor and even just that first intake where she asked such different questions, you know, questions about like, well, what is your stress like and how are you sleeping and what are you eating and what sort of personal care products do you use? And it just completely different approach. It was so compassionate. And, you know, we made a lot of headway to the point where within a few years, like I had not had urinary tract infections or, you know, interstitial cystitis was the final diagnosis that I actually got, but those symptoms resolved. And it took work on both of our parts, her 
understanding like what we needed to be testing for, but me implementing that. And it was a team approach, which I found so refreshing. And so it just changed my perspective completely about medical school. And I was in that phase of like having to write my letters for applications. And I, for the life of me, just couldn't come up with like why I wanted to go to XYZ school. Like, you know, you make it past like the first round and then you start going on your visits. And I was like, I I just like, I got nothing. This is like the really wild, I thought was writer's block. And then I was like, oh, maybe I don't actually want to do this. Maybe I actually want to be a naturopath. And I took a year off and I worked for a physical therapist and I became a personal trainer and then went to naturopathic school. I love that story. So that was a long-winded way of saying like, I'm here because I understand a lot of what your listeners have likely gone through in the Western medical system, you know, being shuffled around and not being heard and not getting a truly holistic, individualized plan. What led you to fertility, to specialize in something that's very niche? There were a few, there were really three things that contributed to that the most. So first I had come off birth control while in medical school and I had just decided like, you know, I've been on this for eight years. Like, I don't even know why I'm on this right now. I don't know that my body knows what to do (laughs) without it. And I just kind of wanted to see like if my cycles came back regularly or not, and they didn't. And after six months of no period, I went into my OBGYN and I was like, you know, I'm kind of bothered by this. This doesn't seem right. And she said, well, all your labs are normal. So you could go back on the pill if it bothers you so much. I was like, well, but what happens when I want to have kids? She's like, well, are you trying right now? I said, no, I'm in the middle of medical school. She said, then don't worry about it. I was like, well, that doesn't seem right to me because what if it takes years to figure it out? And then I end up with infertility. And she was like, oh, you're going to be fine. Well, I, you know, I'm learning about this in school right now. Like, you know, 15% of the population is not fine when it comes to this. And it seems like if someone's not ovulating and if someone's not getting their period, maybe we should do the work before they try to get pregnant. So, and it actually had at that point become like this irrational fear maybe not irrational, but it had become a very strong fear that I would never be able to have children. Even though I wasn't in a place where I wanted to try in that moment, I felt that calling to be a mother already at that point in my life. And I had always envisioned my future with children. And so I I was definitely in like panic mode for that whole year when my cycles were not doing their thing. So that was a big impetus for following the fertility path. And then one of my best friends from college when I moved back to Tucson was just starting out on her fertility journey after being diagnosed with endometriosis. And then the first patient I had who got pregnant after we implemented all of our naturopathic things and stayed pregnant because she'd had miscarriages was like the, okay, yep, this is where someone needs to be. And I want to be that person to help. How amazing that that was your friend. Yeah. She's, she's got twins now. (laughs) That is awesome. Well, I am for one happy that you're in this field. And I know that all the women in Tucson that, um, you know, have access to you are happy about it as well. So let's dig into these questions. What do you think? You ready? Let's go for it. Okay. So you already touched on this slightly. So I think it's kind of the perfect segue First question we got was, how long should a woman wait to conceive after getting off birth control? 
I've read that birth control depletes your minerals and nutrients, and there can be pregnancy and developmental issues because of it. Okay. So it's a loaded question because we've got a big chunk of the population on birth control. And I will start by saying, I do not think birth control is bad. I think it's wonderful that we have a choice, but often we're not given all of the information we need about our choices. So I was also not told that birth control causes nutrient deficiencies, and they do. They contribute to vitamin B deficiencies and magnesium deficiencies. Those are the most well-studied, but there are likely others and omega-3s as well. And so I like to give people a minimum of three months from coming off the pill to actively trying to conceive so that we can really replenish nutrients and make sure that their cycles are regular and they can start observing the signs of ovulation. So, you know, if I were to map out like an ideal timeline for someone who is trying to conceive, I would, I would at least give like six months in my ideal world. I realize that there are a lot of people who are working on alternate timelines and I always meet them where they are and explain this research to them. But if we don't know if someone's going to have irregular cycles or not coming off the pill, we want to give some time to regulate those cycles and the organ systems that have been impacted. So nourishing the liver because all of its detox pathways have been working on those synthetic hormones and the adrenal system and the gut. Those three organ systems are the most important to support when coming off the pill. And then as far as we call developmental issues, we need a lot more research on that. I don't want to stigmatize birth control and say that, you know, your, your child is going to end up with some sort of deformity or learning disability because you are on birth control. There's so many other environmental factors that I think are much bigger players in that, that we can be paying attention to. And, you know, all birth control is a synthetic hormone. It does deplete nutrients, but there's a lot of other things going on besides birth control. So I don't want to demonize that alone. We need a much bigger health picture beyond just knowing someone was on the pill. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think, I think my biggest issue is the lack of informed consent that women get. I was on birth control for 10 years and the only thing I was ever told about it was it's totally fine and it regulates your period, which is not true. It turns off your period. <laughs> and I didn't know that until I was in my forties. I mean, how ridiculous is that? And the other thing I was told was when you're ready to get off birth, when you're ready to get pregnant, just get off birth control and then try to get pregnant right away. And so I think as a female population, we deserve better from our medical professionals. We deserve to be told, hey, this will deplete your you know, nutrients. This will do this. It will take your body time to kind of turn back on those mm-hmm. hormonal you know, instincts to start ovulating again. I think most women don't realize when you're on birth control, you're not ovulating. Yeah. And so it's a disservice to women. We deserve to be told if we're going to make a choice about our bodies, we deserve, it deserves to be an informed choice. 1000%. Okay, let's go on to the next question. What toxins, and I love this question, obviously, <laughs> what toxins should we be limiting while trying to conceive? And you know, she mentioned cleaners, beauty products, other things like that. Yeah. So I hope that they are following you and listening to your podcast and are open to coaching on this area because we could easily get overwhelmed by the number of things that you could avoid. But I I typically will have people kind of just go through the list of like, what are they already using? I eliminate the things that I find completely useless first. So things like air fresheners, candles, fabric softeners, 
And I, I mean, I realize that some people find them useful and you know, a nice candle is peaceful and an air freshener makes their home smell nice, but these are all hormone disruptors and they change our cellular response. And when it comes to understanding early fetal development and when, you know, like a female fetus is forming her ovaries and her eggs, like we don't know the full implications of what these hormone disruptors are doing. So I'm actually a heck of a lot more concerned about someone who's been using Glade plugins their entire life than I am with someone who's been on birth control for 10 years. So fragrance, fragrancy products, um, unless it lists out the exact essential oils that are in it, I will usually have my patients ditch all the fragrancy things. So making swaps with their laundry products, their, their beauty care products that have fragrance in them. And beyond that, then starting to look at like, well, what are we consuming in the way of plastics and swapping their plastic food storage containers to glass, their plastic water bottles to stainless steel. And those type of swaps end up saving money in the long run. So I like to use sustainable swaps first. And then we start to go to, well, once you start running out of your makeup, making the swaps to the brands that are researched to be lower in toxins. Uh, Because that's where a lot of my patients tend to get overwhelmed as we start saying, well, like, (laughs) get rid of your makeup, get rid of your shampoo, get rid of your plugins. It's just like, it gets really overwhelming really fast, which is why I really value how you present information also. And so, yeah, those are, those are my big ones are the fragrances, the plastics, and then making the swaps with the other areas in life. So let me ask you a question, because I know you're probably, you know, in the medical community where you are locally. And I like asking this question because sometimes my listeners want that inside information. What do you think the reason is that a woman who's experiencing infertility, you know, their primary care doctor, whoever, their gynecologist or whoever they're working with, when they refer them to fertility specialists, clinics, et cetera, and they go that, why is this not a conversation? Why are hormone disruptors and advising women Um, Because, you know, the studies are showing that it takes as few as three weeks. Like if a woman completely stops using these hormone disruptors, three weeks later, the amount that's in her bloodstream is significantly lower. So we're not talking about like, oh, if you stopped using these products and you'd have to wait five years anyway, we're talking about the ability of significant difference. And I think that now we know, I mean, science is never settled, but in a very big way, there are thousands of published articles that these hormones disruptor, hormone disruptors do lead to infertility. And so why aren't fertility specialists or people in the Western medicine world talking about this? I wish I had a good answer for you on that. I have done my best to network with the local providers, local fertility providers. And I will say that we have one who's a lot more open-minded. And over the 10 years that I've been in practice, I've noted that he has started talking about some of these things more. But it's also it's also challenging for them when they're like they're trained in, you know, IUI and IVF and beyond the education that they're providing to their patients about what those procedures look like, a single physician doesn't necessarily have the time or the resources to be 
having this conversation with every single patient. And this is why I think collaborative care is so important and understanding like where your own limitations are as a provider is really important. So I don't begrudge them for not sharing this piece of information with every single patient because I realize that their visits are already full. I do, however, wish that they could say, hey, there's a lot more that you can be doing to influence this side of things. And I want you to watch, you know, XYZ video or listen to this podcast or go see this provider who is trained to look at this holistically. But what I find is that there is, you know, this kind of complex of thinking that you do know it all and, and then they're just not having the conversations. And that's what I find so frustrating. If you're anything like me, switching to a natural deodorant was the most difficult toxin-free swap. I think when all was said and done after doing all the pit detoxes I found on the internet and trying over 15 toxin-free brands, not exaggerating, I was left, well, stinky. I needed something that worked. Some legit just did not work at all. And some used too much baking soda that while I didn't stink, it eventually left a nasty rash. Not fun. But then along came Primally Pure, and it worked great. I smell amazing and no rashes. And now it's my favorite deodorant, and my entire family uses it. My husband prefers the charcoal version, and I'm obsessed with the citrus vanilla. But if you've struggled to find a natural deodorant that works, you're going to want to give this a try. Hop on over to www.detoxyourpits.com and use discount code WendyCatherine at checkout for 10% off. Well, I'm, you know, I feel hopeful that, you know, you have one provider, you've made a difference and maybe, maybe there'll be more. Yeah. And I will say the embryologists are like the shining star of many fertility practices because they are, you know, the ones who regulate the lab where the embryos live once they're, once someone goes through IVF and the lab conditions are extremely important. So all embryology labs are required to be fragrance free because we know that those toxins can create an oxidative effect and potentially damage embryos. So I think just the research on the actual embryology has been an important piece of influencing some doctors and having the conversation and you know, having fragrance-free offices will often get patients asking questions about like, oh, I noticed your office is fragrance-free. Why is that? And then that opens the door for a bigger conversation. But if my, I've said this on several podcasts, if my life's mission could be to eradicate all fabric softener from the face of the planet, then my life is, my my purpose is complete. (laughs) You and me, you and me, we're going to do that. All right. Next question. Uh, I am 18 months into trying to conceive and I always hear that being calm and not stressed helps change helps uh, somebody get pregnant. But how in the world do you do that when it's a cycle of disappointment? And what are some realistic ways to manage stress? And I just want to add to this that I now have multiple cousins, close friends who have been through IVF, IUIs, and the hormones, the structure, the anticipation. I mean, that is the most stressful thing I've ever seen anybody go through personally. But I know you specialize in this, so I'm really interested to hear your answer. Yeah. There's no one way, but it this is really it's an opportunity for self-discovery. And it's a really 
hard punch in the gut for this to be like your version of self-discovery, but you can start looking at it in that way, looking like, wow, how have I responded to this ongoing journey and other hard things in life? And it is stressful. We don't want to gaslight people out of that. Like it is hard. It is stressful. We get into this vicious cycle where people learn that stress might contribute to infertility, but like infertility definitely causes stress. So then they're stressed because they're stressed and then they're worried that their infertility is causing the stress. And that it's like this vicious downward spiral. And if we don't catch people with the right resources, like when we do see research coming out showing that women who've gone through infertility have essentially the same level of PTSD-like symptoms as someone who has gone through a cancer diagnosis and cancer treatment. And so that, that stress needs to be taken seriously and how difficult this life event needs to be taken seriously. So the first thing would just be like authentically express like, this sucks. Like, don't gaslight yourself out of this and use affirmations like, everything is fine. I can do this. Like, find help get the resources to get help. And this is another area where I also feel very frustrated that isn't just like built in to fertility offices would be like a counselor who is trained in this. And there's maybe like two clinics in all of the United States and two in Canada who have built in counseling that essentially like every patient who walks through the door is referred for counseling because this is one of the harder things in life that anyone ever goes through. So I feel like that should be standard of care. I think so too. And and so we've acknowledged that yes, this is hard and it creates stress and you are allowed to acknowledge that and you are allowed to feel crappy about that sometimes. In terms of tools that I use effectively in my practice. So I am a certified life coach, NLP coach and hypnotist. So I have a lot more tools than the average bear for handling this and reframing problems and getting to the root of why someone responds the way they do to certain situations, why someone can breeze through with, you know, positivity that this is all going to work out even after going through years and another person, you know, four months in is like, my life is over. All of us have our conditioning, the reasons that we respond to life the way we do based on how we were raised and the culture we were raised in. So understanding what some of those influences are and then guiding people towards the right tool. So I use tapping or emotional freedom technique quite frequently, but there is there are definitely ways of tapping that are more effective than others. So truly working with someone who understands how to do that can be really helpful. Meditation can be helpful. It can also be a, like a numbing device, <laughs> better than drugs. But, you know, if, it, if it's truly accessing like what you need and acknowledging how you feel, but then also guiding you towards feeling differently, then that can be really helpful. Having a support system who really knows how to support you. So it doesn't mean everyone in your support system has to have been through infertility and know exactly what you're going through, but having a support system where people aren't just saying like, oh, just relax and it'll happen. Just go on vacation. Just have a couple cocktails. Like, no, that is toxic, unhelpful advice. So for anyone who might be listening and hasn't been through fertility and wants to learn how to be supportive, just listening and saying, this must be really hard. How can I be here for you? 
I love that advice. I think that people need to hear that. And I do think that they're well-meaning. I think oftentimes people just don't know what to say. So hopefully they're listening to this and light little light bulb just went off in their brain. Oh, that's a better way to do it. <laughs> yeah. And acupuncture can be extremely supportive for people going through any, you know, whether they're trying naturally or going through IVF, there's actually great research for both scenarios. And so acupuncture helps modulate our stress response. And that can help regulate the reproductive hormones. So what your ovaries are doing, it's actually related to how you're handling stress and, you know, your body feeling safe to conceive. So acupuncture, tapping, breathwork, meditation, these are all options. I wouldn't just make this list to go, okay, I'm going to do all the things because again, we're trying not to add to your stress. We want to see how, what is the simplest path forward? for you to get the best result and feel truly content about where you are in your life while also actively like holding this desire and continuing to make steps forward. It's it's a balancing act for sure. I was just listening to you and thinking how lucky your patients are. I wish there was a one of you for everybody. I love that. Fantastic, fantastic advice. All right, let's move on to the next question. Does what I'm eating affect fertility? Are there any changes to my diet that I should make? Are you reading labels, but you don't even really know what you're looking at, let alone know which ones are toxic and wondering if you really need to spend eight bucks on an all natural cleaner made of nothing but vinegar and how much of this marketing is just a bunch of greenwashing anyway. If you're confused, you are in good company. That was me when I first started detoxing my home, but now I've helped hundreds of families do it simply and without the overwhelm using my tossing the toxins roadmap. The best part, it is completely free. I wanted to create the perfect toxin-free cheat sheet and then give it away to anyone who wanted it. The roadmap walks you through what areas to focus on first that will give you the best bang for your health buck. You can download what I call the Toxic 20, which is my top 20 ingredients to avoid right to your phone. It's jam-packed full of easy-to-follow steps on embracing a low-tox life. My only goal was to make it simple, like crazy simple. If you're ready to start detoxing your life, go download your free roadmap at www.tossingthetoxins.com. Well, I don't know what you're eating in the first place, listener, um, but food absolutely affects our, our fertility because every cell in our body is responding to these nutrients and our food is essentially carrying messages. It's carrying information. And so if we are eating food that is very alive, you know, fresh vegetables and fruits and things that are as close to their original form as possible, we are going to get better information from that food. If we're eating highly processed food, food that has kind of been stripped of a lot of their nutrient value, it doesn't really offer us much. Yeah, it gives energy in the form of calories. Like you will stay alive eating this food, but it's not thriving food. So as close to what I was into, like a whole food type diet as possible. And then from there, we have to customize it based on the person. So in general, like a Mediterranean style diet 
would be compatible for most people who are trying to conceive because it is high in antioxidants, it's high in healthy fats, um, it has adequate protein from eggs and fish and a little bit of dairy and a little bit of meat and beans and nuts and seeds and lots of veggies and you know keeping food as fresh as possible. So that is what I would aim for. I mean, I do customize quite a bit around my patients who have you know, dietary concerns for religious or ethical region, reasons and they're not eating animal products, then you know, it's not impossible to get pregnant for someone who is vegan or plant-based, but there's a lot of modification that we have to make to meet the needs and the demands of a body to get pregnant. Like, <laughs> it's a state in which our body needs to feel an abundance of nutrition for sure. Love the way you describe that. I often, because you know, I have kids and trying to teach kids about good nutrition when they live in the world and their friends are, you know, oh eating Chick fil A all the time and they wonder why their crazy hippie mom won't just like, <laughs> them eat, you know, whatever they want. Um, I explain to them, you know, when we go to the grocery store, you know, everything on the outside of the grocery store is alive. And that's exactly how yeah. I describe it things that grow, things that you know, we get from animals, things that are truly alive and have those nutrients and the energy. And then the further in the store you go, you're just eating dead things. And so when you eat dead things, you know, you might feel that burst of energy from all those carbs or whatever's in it, but then you kind of feel dead afterwards, right? Like your energy feels depleted, like you, and it was an interesting light bulb moment. And so I love that you just made that same analogy. Yeah. And I also want to stress because I, I see so many people come in saying that like, oh, they saw so-and-so coach and they were told to go gluten-free and dairy-free and focusing on avoidance is not the vibe when it comes to healthy fertility diets. Unless someone has a very real reason, autoimmune or Hashimoto's or something really specific that we're working on and there's research to guide us towards that particular modification. But we want to focus on what do I need to be getting more of? And what I see most commonly in practice is people need more protein, more healthy fat, and more antioxidants in the form of fruits, veggies, herbs, spices. 100% agree with you. All right. Ready for the next question? I'm ready. All right. This came from actually somebody I know. She said, any advice for trying to conceive while breastfeeding without weaning? So she has, I believe, a 22-month-old um, and has not gotten her period back yet, but would like to start trying, but no period. Any advice? Yeah. And I was actually in this position too with my first, I don't think I got a period back until 28 months. And so you're not alone in that some people's bodies, and this this is very individual on whose body is going to respond this way. Some people's bodies are just like, I can only maintain one extracurricular thing at a time. <laughs> so breastfeeding still has pretty high demands. And even if it's only at nighttime or only when they first wake up in the morning, and it's pretty minimal. Some people's hormonal regulation system is just identifying that alone as like, we can't do these two things at once. Now, if you wanted to play with that a little bit and you're really attached to the idea of continuing to breastfeed through a pregnancy or tandem nursing when you have both children, then again, like coming back to nutrition and making sure that you are absolutely getting enough calories, enough healthy fat, enough protein for your body to be able to say like, oh, I am good. I am safe. I can do all the things. And in our hustle culture, 
a lot of women have dealt with, you know, diet culture. It's often the case that I see women who are just undernourished and they maybe have been chronically for years, even before they had their first child. And so and that was me for sure. I don't know what my body would do if I ever tried for a third while breastfeeding number two still, but I was in the same boat and I had to be like minimally, like, I think we were down to like every other day, once a day and my cycles finally returned, but it's just a very individual scenario. Uh, Some women will catch the first ovulation after breastfeeding, but I would again, bring some attention and some awareness to your nutrition and make sure that you are getting enough because pregnancy and breastfeeding is a time when nutrient deficiencies often develop too. Fantastic advice. Hopeful for that friend. Yeah, me too. Keep us posted friend. (laughs) Okay. Next question. This one is, I also know who this is from, but it's personal. So I didn't know I had Hashimoto's. I knew I had hypothyroidism, um, which is why I had infertility issues. And I feel like I was one of the, I say lucky ones, because rather than having unexplained infertility, which many women deal with, where there's really no answers that they can find from their Western medicine doctors, I was told, well, you have hypothyroidism. And so there was a quote unquote fix for that. And then I was very quickly able to get pregnant after the fact, but I didn't know that it was autoimmune. I didn't know that it was Hashimoto's at the time um, because back then doctors didn't test for that and actually still don't, but Hashimoto's and other autoimmunes are becoming more and more and more prevalent. They're exploding, especially in America. And so the question specifically is, what is the most important thing to know when trying to conceive with Hashimoto's? The most important thing to know about it is it is not just a hypothyroid condition. It is an autoimmune condition. And it does not mean someone can't get pregnant or won't get pregnant or stay pregnant, but it means we have to be looking deeper than just saying, here is a pill that has thyroid hormone in it, and it's going to fix all the problems. Because we know that thyroperoxidase or TPO antibodies have been found in the follicular fluid surrounding the egg, so it can affect egg quality. And there's an increased risk of premature ovarian insufficiency in women who have Hashimoto's. And we also know that TPO antibodies have been found in placental tissue, and so they could potentially be indicated in early pregnancy losses. So working with someone who has a very good understanding of the immune system and what potential triggers there are for that individual's Hashimoto's so that they can reduce their immune system reactivity is a really important piece of having a healthy pregnancy, being able to carry it a term. But it's very individualized. Like with my Hashimoto's, I'm definitely very chemically sensitive. And so the worst flare I've ever had was when we had that huge fire here in 2020 and they were dumping flame retardant on the mountain 24-7. And I live five miles from, you know, where part of that fire was. And, you know, even running air filters 24-7, like, There's no way that you can avoid being exposed somewhat to that. So, you know, two months later, and I started feeling just terrible and retested thyroid that I hadn't tested in maybe four months. And sure enough, like my antibodies were through the roof for the first time ever. And so that was a very interesting and enlightening experience to go like, aha, 
it's not gluten for me. <laughs> it's chemicals. <laughs> so everyone has potentially their own individual triggers and working with someone who can help sift through that with you, like DIYing this stuff is really overwhelming. So I would not recommend that. No, I totally agree. It's interesting you say we all have bio-individual triggers. Mine is gluten, which I was not aware of. And I didn't go gluten-free because of my Hashimoto's. I went gluten-free because my husband was gluten-free. Mm. And it was more of a, I was supporting him. And through supporting him, which was a very nice thing of me to do, uh, because gluten-free things do not taste like. <laughs> and I had to go through the phase of eating you know, gluten-free things and then realizing how terrible their ingredients were. And then trying, you know, eventually kind of not getting fake you know, gluten-free bread or fake whatever, but actually truly living more of a gluten-free life without the fake stuff. But I was shocked at how quickly, like I felt better and my inflammation went down and my antibodies started to fall. And I was like, oh, dang. Oh, okay. Well, I guess gluten is definitely uh, it for me. So yeah, I, I wondered about gluten for myself for years and years. And I've I experimented quite a bit with gluten and it's a good thing I could run my own labs because I would, you know, go gluten-free for six months and retest my antibodies and then add a little bit back in and retest. And I do notice that I feel better without it. And I think it's more related to just, well, gluten's in a lot of processed foods. <laughs> so yeah, hundred percent. Well, that's convenient. You could do your own labs. Nice. I don't have to, you know, be that strong advocate anymore because I can just say, oh, yes, my doctor was okay with ordering these. <laughs> I don't recommend DIYing it though, guys. <laughs> no, not at all. I, you know, the thing you'll hear me say on the internet and on my podcast is test, do not guess. Yes. Like, one that is thousand like percent, yeah. so big for me. There are so many people on the internet selling, take these five supplements and cure your Hashimoto's, do this five-step process. And everyone is so bio-individual Everyone is so different. Your needs are so different. Your nutrient levels are so different. You might have something completely different for a root cause and you're trying to fix something that's not even broken. And women are spending so much money buying from these people. And I just, it makes me crazy. Test, do not guess. Find a provider. Find somebody that you respect and that you trust that can look at things holistically and can give you true guidance. Yeah, definitely. Okay, next question. Uh, trying to conceive for over a year and don't have the means for IVF, which I think is a lot of people, right? You, most Americans don't have $30,000 and most insurance companies don't cover IVF. And I know there's you know, work on that that's trying to be changed, but for right now, it's still not the norm. And this listener is desperate to get pregnant. What would you tell someone like her before borrowing money and jumping into fertility treatments? Are there any magic supplements? Which I think we had a perfect oh, yeah. segue. Into we that sure question, did. But. No, there's there's definitely no magic supplements, and this is also very bio individualized. Like, why does someone have infertility in the first place is a really important thing to start with. So, gathering that history, like, does this person have regular cycles? Are they ovulating? Are their tubes open? What, what are their partner's sperm doing? That's you know, We haven't talked about them yet, but they're really important. That's 50% of the DNA here. And ooh, they're really susceptible to environmental toxins. So you know, if, if we were to create a plan for everyone, it would include establishing like, well, what is your nervous system doing? Are you 
Do you have support for stress? Are you sleeping well? Are you getting enough nutrients in your diet? Are you avoiding all of these toxins that we know affect hormones? So starting with those basics that we talked about earlier in the episode and then getting holistic health help from someone who can test for the things that could be impacting fertility. So I have a lab guide download that we can give to your audience that I use for, it's, it's like my starting point with labs, but it's a lot more comprehensive than what people are going to typically be getting from their PCP or a fertility provider who is looking at everything through the lens of IVF. Like, is this person a good candidate for IVF? I'm going to test these three things and find out. Like, There's so much more going on underneath the surface. Like we talked about thyroids. We want a complete thyroid panel. We're not just looking at TSH because that's just one hormone coming from the brain. It's not telling you what the free floating thyroid hormones are or if someone has antibodies. We're going to test for inflammation because that can be a driver of stress in the body and that could be a reason the body doesn't feel safe to conceive. We want to look for nutrient deficiencies like vitamin D and iron and uh, folate because those are really necessary for healthy, like really every step of from ovulation to fertilization to implantation to early fetal growth. So there are a lot of pieces that we may need to be looking at to make sure that someone is even ready to go through something like IVF. But often once we put all those together, they don't need it. Yeah, I would absolutely love to provide my audience with that download. I'll go ahead and link that in the show notes. Thank you. And I have a whole episode on thyroid and the labs that you need. There's a download also that somebody can take to their doctor and say, I want a full thyroid panel. So I think this is important because, you know, women will typically go to the doctor and say, can you run my labs? And the doctors, like you said, will only do very specific labs. And so This is where women need to advocate for themselves and ask for the things that they want, especially if they're going to a provider that's not, you know, more functional and more holistic. Yeah. And, you know, there are are some great people who are able to work online. I would definitely use discernment, understand like what their credentials are, because there are coaches who have no credentials. There are coaches who are physicians who also have coaching certifications who can work with people online. I work with people both one-to-one and in-group program, and we'll also have like a self-study option starting later this year for people who need these resources to be accessible, but they can't spend $15,000 on something. I wouldn't want someone to jump into IVF if they haven't been given these other opportunities to heal their body in the first place. So either way, we need these foundations in place. And there are lots of opportunities to do that with online programs and coaching. So there's, there's hope. hundred percent. And I think discernment is important. Like I already mentioned, there's a lot of people on the internet prescribing things to people in mass and really people need, you know, people like you, you're a physician, you're a life coach, you have the skills, you have the certification, you have the experience. And I think that it's really easy for people, you know, just like people say on the internet, do you want to make a million dollars overnight? Sure. Well, also people who are like, take this supplement and get pregnant, right? They're, they're manipulating the public. And it's very sad because women, especially in that moment are very desperate. Yeah. And I have clients and customers of mine that have come to me and told me how much money they have spent on supplements. And when my first question is, well, 
did you have your labs run? Like, what were the reasons? Oh, I bought them from so-and-so that has a podcast. And I'm like, yeah, when you start adding up like, you know, the TikTok and the blog posts and the podcast recommendations and then your neighbor's cousin who did whatever, um, there's it can add up really quickly and then it starts to add to the overwhelm too. And this feeling of like, well, I'm doing all the things, but nothing is working yet. It's like, well, you're doing all the things, but are you actually doing the things that are right for you? And we get so disconnected from ourselves, just I think is you know, part of what our society is really good at doing. And then this journey is so difficult because it really strips people from what they feel like their purpose was. And they're like, well, if this hasn't happened yet, is this even my purpose? It starts to become like an identity crisis. And so you throw all the things at the wall to see what'll stick. And then, you know, this person saying like, I am desperate to get pregnant. Well, then it's time to do things differently. Okay, well, we're we're only down to two questions, and now I'm getting right. sad that this is <laughs> <almost> over. <laughs> I feel like there's so many ways in the you know branches we could take this conversation. But okay, next question. I've had my FSH tested, and it was 14 last cycle, and then this cycle it's 59. And I don't know the age of this person. She didn't give that to me. She said, "What gives with this, and what can I do?" Oh well, we would want a lot more history for sure. Like age and does this person have thyroid hormone issues? Was there something really stressful that happened from one month to the next or actually even like three months earlier? Because that final maturation process of the egg is about three months long. And so, you know, if something happened three months prior to when this lab went haywire, I would be very curious to hear that because FSH is this We'll back up and talk about that because I know a lot of people don't even know what FSH is. It stands for follicle stimulating hormone. And it comes from the anterior pituitary, which is a little thing that dangles off the brain. And it tells the ovaries essentially like get this egg ready to ovulate. So on cycle day three, which is usually when they test FSH, that should be the lowest that it is throughout the cycle. That's like this baseline. And then throughout the cycle, it gets higher until ovulation and then it starts to come down. And so I'm also curious, you know, like, well, I would hope that they were testing it on the right cycle day, but if they tested that second FSH right at ovulation, like, yes, it's going to be higher because that's its like final pop-up along with LH to get that ovulation going. So I would be looking at, did anything stressful happen? Is there a thyroid hormone issue? Is, is their age compatible with the possibility of premature ovarian insufficiency. Unfortunately, the Western standard is to give someone that diagnosis if they've had an FSH above 25. Um, I've even seen clinics give it to women who have an FSH above 15. And that creates a lot of stress for women to see that number, hear that from their expert to say like, "Mm, that number's not a good sign. It's saying that the ovaries aren't responding. That egg is not emerging this cycle in the way that it should. And therefore the brain is screaming at the ovary to like get something going. I wouldn't be able to tell this person what this means because I don't have any other context. I don't know what their estrogen level was or their LH or their history in general, but it's definitely worth further investigation and a conversation with their doctor about what their options are and what does it mean to have a high FSH 
Well, and it's a good point about timing as well. I know in my experience, I eventually found that I had estrogen dominance. My ratio was really terrible. And so working on my liver health and all of those things, I think also contributed to working on my Hashimoto's other than gluten-free. But so many people that I know that go and ask their doctors to run these tests, they'll, they'll message me on Instagram and they, they'll say, I'm getting all of these things tested. I'm, I'm going right now. And I was like, wait, where are you in your cycle? Yeah. <laughs> like, what do you mean you're going right now? Didn't your doctor tell you there's like a specific, you know, no, they didn't say that. And I'm like, well, then your test is going to mean Jack. Like yeah. it's, that is not helpful. No, it's not. I mean, with people who have wildly irregular cycles, like you obviously can't really time it in that way. You've just got to like gather it at a few different points to try to create context. But if someone does have regular cycles, yeah, you you need to have that specific day to understand what that communication is. I hope this person is able to get better answers. All right, last question. And I kind of saved it for last because it's kind of like a big overarching culmination of all the things that you do and all the patients that you've worked with over the years. What are the main changes that your patients make that have led to a successful pregnancy? Because we take such an individualized approach, I would not be able to just rattle off a list of like, here are five things that you can do today. I think the most important thing that we help people do right off the bat is help them listen to their intuition because there are going to be a lot of options. Hopefully you have a lot of options being presented to you and not just, you know, you can do donor eggs because you're effed. <laughs> like there's, there's always other options, but just looking at this from a place of, yeah, there are a lot of things that are being presented to me as like, I should take this supplement or I should use this diet. But if you don't actually have the ability to tune in to your intuition and your body to understand what really feels right for you, it's going to be a much longer road. And, you know, some of the stuff we've already talked about, about reducing toxin exposure, making sure you're getting enough healthy food, sleeping, <laughs> making sure you have a support system, like those are instrumental for everyone. So I would say like, if we had to pick a few things, like that would be it. But what does a healthy diet look like? That's different for everyone. What changes are you going to need to make in relationships to make sure that you're having supportive relationships? That's going to be different for everyone. So I can, I can give people that much and hope that they'll at least go throw out their fabric softener tonight. <laughs> <laughs> at a minimum. That's what you learn, folks. <laughs> we agree on that. Go throw it out. Okay. I love this and I adore you. Tell all of my listeners, one, where they can find you, where do you hang out, where they can, you know, communicate with you, support you, follow you, maybe binge some of your things. I know you have a lot of things <laughs> on your Instagram that are binge worthy because I did it. Um, and then how can people work with you? Oh, well, thank you, Wendy. The feeling is mutual. <laughs> I was so excited to be offered a chance to come on and talk to you. So I am mostly on Instagram at Dr. Katie Rose, and you can also find me on my website, drkatierose.com. I need some updates cause we're pretty busy, but <laughs> Um, in terms of what they can binge, you know, if I have webinars or workshops or masterclasses going, I always 
tell people on Instagram, I always tell my email list. So I would say first things first, head to my Instagram, follow along, go to my LinkedIn profile and opt in to whatever juicy freebie I have going on, whether it's a lab guide or I have a a three-day fertility series that you can learn lots from. And they can work with me by sending me a DM. And right now, by the time people listen to this, I will have probably very limited one-to-one openings because, again, like you mentioned, one in six couples are dealing with infertility. So um, I wish that wasn't the case, but it keeps all of us fertility experts pretty dang busy. So for that reason, I have a group program offering and we will be kind of chunking things together in a way for a self-study option to be ready in the very near future. I love that. So many options. Thank you so much for being here. And I also want to say thank you for doing what you do because I feel like you are representing the best of women in the field right now and women need women like you. So thank you. That was like heart explosions. Thank you. (laughs) And I for sure want to have you back. I, uh, I have so many ideas for even more conversations, but thank you for being here. You, my friend, have officially finished another episode of the Detox Dilemma podcast. And if you want more, head over to wendycatherine.com to get all the show notes and links to discount codes from our amazing partners. If you're looking for something specific to help you detox your home, make sure you check out my toxin-free shopping guide at toxinfreeshoppingguide.com. It's organized by category and makes detoxing your home simple. I'll see you next week. And until then, I hope your life is getting just a little less toxic.